If you've driven on the tollway in Chicagoland, you've certainly seen the clever billboards for Restore Hair. If you ever thought, who's the creative mind behind this? Then this episode is for you. I'm Brian Shelton, and you're listening to Harper Talks, a co-production of Harper College Alumni Relations and Harper Radio. Today on Harper Talks, I'm excited to speak with Jacob Sadoff, co-owner of Restore Hair and Harper College alumni. Jake is an active coach for the Harper College speech and debate team, which is where we met, and I've been looking forward to talking with him about serial entrepreneurship and his continuing desire to give back to Harper College. Jake joined me for the Harper Talks podcast over Zoom. All right. Hey, Jake, thanks for being here today. I appreciate it. How are you? I'm great. Thank you, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing very, very well. It's nice and warm today. The first Harper Talks podcast that I've recorded where it's been warm, it's been freezing cold, everyone that I've done. So this is fun. Yes. Yeah. Thankfully, the weather is changing here. That's right. So tell me how you got to Harper College. You grew up in the area? I did. I grew up in, uh, in Hoffman Estates and uh, I went to Harper in 1996 and 97. And, um, you know, I was always kind of like, uh, sort of understood in my family that's where we're going to go we're going to go to Harper College my parents were big believers in it and so it was and it was always something that we were excited and interested to do and uh because we uh we we uh we knew of it we knew people that went there and so on and actually for a for a short period of time my dad um was uh taught some classes at Harper College um when I was a little kid I remember running around uh his class he brought us to to class one time uh, when we were probably about five or six years old. So yeah, so we, we knew Harper really well and uh, we always uh, were, were interested in going there. So yeah, I went to 96 and 97 and then went on to Northern from there. Great, that's great. So what were things like at Harper in 96, 97? Obviously I wasn't there then. What was the campus like? What was the atmosphere like? You know, I'll tell you about my first day at Harper. It was, I'll never forget, it was a very foggy day and there was no signage anywhere. That's what I remember. My first impression of going on Harper is there was no signage. And I was like, where is building L? How do you get to building L? You can't see the letters on any of these buildings. And, and then, so I don't know how I figured out, but so maybe somebody told me it's the big mirrored building in the front curved mirrored building. Um, and finally, after this, the fog cleared a little bit, I, I saw, ah, L, okay. So um, I think my impression of, of Harper at that point was it was sort of an aging campus. Um, again, so there was there we didn't we didn't have the beautiful signage that we have uh, on campus now, uh, kind of directing people where to go, and and buildings were a little bit older. Um, and it was sort of so it was sort of that transition point. I think the the campus was probably what maybe 25 to 30 years old at that point. So it was it was aging, um, but it was still a great place. We loved it. Um, it was uh, it was it was still in a good layout and everything else. And once you got the lay of, of the you know of the land there, you could you could figure out how to get from one building to the next. And um, I think it was at that point when when they were just starting to put computer labs in in campuses and high schools. So I remember um, having access to to these cool new computer labs. Um, and they had internet. Wow, because you maybe you didn't have internet at home, but you could certainly go and get internet on campus. So, um, but it was great. Um, we had the student center, of course, and um, and there was still a lot of good programs on campus. And um, and I was, I was involved in a couple of things. So yeah, I, I really uh, I really liked the campus back then, but definitely a lot has changed. There's, there wasn't, um, you know, all the, the new, uh, you know, the newer buildings that we that we have now. There wasn't a parking garage. There wasn't, a, you know, Avante out in, in front, in front of uh, campus. 
So um, the, the gymnasium hadn't been redesigned yet. Um, so there was, like I said, it was a little bit aging and stuff, but it was still a really good, really good place to take class. Yeah, since I've been at Harper, the amount of construction that's gone on there has just been fascinating. I always tell people that Harper never stops building. Uh, and it seems like uh, only just now during COVID that we've actually stopped construction, but we're getting ready to start again. So that's really exciting. And uh, it's also interesting that you mentioned the Student Center because um, um, my colleague Shannon Hines in the alumni office always says they like to have alumni events in the Student Center because it's the only building that hasn't changed in 50 years. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, that's, that's true, right? It, it is, but, you know, it's got a classic feel in there and it's, it's got like a nice feel, but I know that they are, they're, they're doing work there as well. But, um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a good campus and everything. But there's, yeah, you're right. There's always construction that seems to be going on. Um, for the last uh, several years, but um, you know, again, when I was on campus, I don't think there was anything that was being built at that time. It was it was at that stage, kind of between between things when uh, it was starting to age, but it wasn't uh, you know too bad at that point. But um, it's amazing the the development that's gone on in the last several years. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, you, you were heavily involved with the speech and debate team while you were at Harper, right? Yeah, I was. I, I joined the team as a competitor, um, you know, when I started at Harper in 96. And, um, and I did that for the, for the couple of years I was there. And we had a, we had a really, have and still have a really good competitive team with great coaching. Coaching staff has, has changed a little bit, but long, really longstanding coaches, one, one in particular, Jeff Sibzilla, for example, um, Jeff was the, uh, the head coach when I was there and, uh, he's still the head coaching director of Frederick now, but yeah, I really, I really enjoyed being on the, the speech and debate team. It was a great, uh, a great way to meet new people and to travel and to, you know, sort of learn new skills and, and to, uh, kind of break out of your, out of, out of your, um, shell a little bit and, and get out there and start talking a little bit. That's great. I want to, you know, I'm going to kind of jump ahead on the questions I was going to ask you because we are talking about the speech team. Now, see, you're still involved with the speech team as a, as a coach. And I also know that you and your brother, Jordan, started a scholarship for the speech and debate team. And I, I'm just curious, what is it that drives you to continue being involved with that and also to be so involved with Harper as an alumni? Because, you know, so often, when people leave the community college, they go on, they get their four-year degree, and that's the school that they identify with, right? But you really heavily identify with Harper and are very actively involved. Talk to me about why you choose to continue to be involved at Harper. Yeah, well, that you know, I think a, cu a couple things happened. Um, uh, you know, one was that, and I'll tell you the first thing actually that in terms of the of the coming back and helping out and being involved on campuses. Um, I, uh, I, I did go on and I competed in speech and debate, um, after I left Harper, I went to Northern Illinois and I competed, um, and I moved back to the area and I stayed close with <clears throat> the coaches, Jeff Brazillo and at the time, Marshall LaTrenta, and they really fostered a program that allowed and asked for, um, alumni to come back and help volunteer coach. And I think it was really that program that, that really interested me. And I think that I, I benefited from that when I was a student. I, I certainly, you know, liked the peer coaching and the sort of recent graduate coaching. And so <clears throat> I was really intrigued by that. And I think anytime somebody says to you like, hey, we value you. We value your knowledge and your abilities and your skills. And we would like you to help somebody else and help a student. And 
there's something that's really sort of compelling about that and, and uh, rewarding. And it's hard to say no when somebody says, hey, we value you and we want to hear, we want to hear you. We want to hear from you. We want your help. It's, and I think that's really what, what drew, drew me in. And um, it was, I guess it's kind of that uh, pay it forward mentality. So I really enjoyed coming back and coaching. It was a volunteer position. Um, uh, but I, you know, I, for me, that, that's what I was looking for at that point. I was looking to, to stay involved. I really liked the activity. I liked what it did sort of for me and, you know, for, on a personal level. And, and I, so I really believed in, the, in that program. And I also knew that I know a lot of kids that are at Harper on campus, you know, there's sort of, it sometimes creates a disconnection. Um, it's not like high school where people are a little bit more connected. So people are looking for things. Kids are looking for something to do. And, and I know the value of, of programs like speech and debate. And so I really wanted to participate and, um, and to be involved in that. So I, so I started coaching um, and uh, we'd go to tournaments and, um, and, and coach and judge the tournaments and, and uh, really enjoyed it. It was a great extracurricular activity for me, a great out, creative outlet. And so I, I know I got as much out of it as, as I put into it and as much as I helped others, maybe more. And uh, so I did that and, and have done it for several years. I've slowed down uh, a, you know, a bit or a lot, I should say, in the last handful of years since I, I started the family. My job has changed a little bit, but I still stay involved a little bit. Um, but in terms of the, um, the scholarship, you know, I, I actually I received a scholarship when I was a student for the speech and debate. It was a time where, you know, it's kind of, it, I, I actually like to tell the story of, of the cost per credit hour back then. It was, I think, 40 $41 a credit hour. And I, I don't, you know, as much of a, of a great value as it was then, it's still a great value now. It's, it's a hundred and something dollars now, but, but it was, money was a little tough back then. And, um, and I got, I'll never forget, I got $300 scholarship, $300. And again, by today's standards, maybe that's not a lot, but that's what was available. And I was thrilled that I received it. Absolutely thrilled. Um, the money was coming at a good time. It was tough money. I have, uh, there was three of us, three kids in my family that were all going to college at the same time. So my parents had a hard time trying to pay for all of us to, to go to college at the same time. So 300 bucks was, was great. And, um, you know, I never, I never forgot that. And, and so again, that's kind of been that pay it forward mentality as well, where um, you know, I've done, I've done well. I'm fortunate. I think I'm, I've, I've gotten, you know, sort of lucky and stuff, but I, I've, um, I know how that $300 impacted me and I enjoy you know, sort of, um, like to pay it forward and, and, and allowing somebody else to, to benefit from, from, uh, from a scholarship. Um, so yeah, so I, so I started, um, along with my, my twin brother, um, he started a scholarship, uh, about 10 or 11 years ago. And, um, it's, uh, I know we, we help usually one or two students, uh, a year, um, you know, pay their tuition or half, or even if it's a, few classes, um, depending on how the money's split up. But um, it's something we, we enjoy doing and um, it's very rewarding. Yeah, that's great. And we appreciate that you do that. Um, and the students do as well. I remember, you know, years ago when I graduated from college, I had won a communication award and it was a $500 cash prize. And, you know, back in 1997, a $500 cash prize paid my rent, you know, so uh, <laughs> it made a huge difference uh, back then. So we appreciate you doing that. Um, talking about the speech team, you were talking about your involvement. I don't think a lot of people realize because um, I travel with the speech team on occasion. And I don't think a lot of people realize the amount of practice and work that goes into that. I mean, the students who are involved in that, 
are practicing four or five days a week. They're giving up their weekends almost every weekend to go out and do tournaments and the coaches are doing the same and the volunteer coaches as well. And um, it's just as competitive and just as much work as uh, any athletic event that you would be involved in. You know, that's um, so true. It's very competitive and, you know, it's as competitive as you want to, if you want to get with it. Um, You know, some, some kids uh, are sort of um, touch and go with it and don't put lots of time into it and they, um, but they enjoy going to a couple tournaments and other kids get very, very competitive. And as you said, Brian, they will go to tournaments, uh, you know, I don't want to say every weekend, but many, many weekends. And they're, you know, four or five days a week. There are, you know, at the, at the highest collegiate level, there are students that are practicing seven days a week and going to tournaments every single weekend throughout a given semester. I think it, with, with our program here at Harper, we're, you know, we're not, um, you know, maybe we're not that intense, but, um, but certainly very competitive. And, it, and then, you know, you get, you get out of it what you put into it. Um, it can be very rewarding. Um, you get some really great successes, um, you know, when you win at a tournament and you, uh, you know, you, you compete at the highest level. And, and then certainly at the end of the year, there's this culmination event, this national tournament where you get to travel to, not this year because of COVID, but on a typical year you get to travel and, you know, and, and, and our, Harper has traveled as far as away as, um, you know, Los Angeles and Washington, D.C. and, and Florida and New York. So. Um, get to travel to, to really cool places that these kids probably have never been to. And, and I know that sometimes we, when I travel, and you, Brian, you've traveled as well with the team, that sometimes these kids are like, I've never been on an airplane before. And, and they're flying to California, to Los Angeles, to compete in a national speech competition. I mean, that's, that's pretty remarkable. And um, that's it's, I mean, what it does for, for a kid's confidence and um, you know, for something they can put on their resume. Um, is just it's incredible. Um, I know it, it helped me when I was uh, right out of college. I, that, was, that was a big, big item on my resume. I, and I, I landed a really uh, decent job right out of college and paid well. And, was, and I know that that was a big thing that helped me get that job. Um, I think that was impressive to a, to a company when, you know, they're seeing a 21 or 22 year old, you know, young man or woman. So, um, but yeah, it's, a uh, lot, a lot of, of competition. Back to your point, a lot of competition, a lot of preparation. Sometimes there's, you know, two or three hours a day of practicing, and it's like anything. It's like any sport. You know, you can't get good at football or baseball if you're, you know, if you just have natural talent, but you don't practice that. You've got to practice it. You've got to, um, you know, rehearse your speech several times over. You've got to polish it. You've got to get it ready. You know, and I think when when you watch any, you know, whether it's a politician or anybody who's giving a speech. Um, it's not the first time they've read it. Um, they've, uh, they had to read it over and over again and, and to get ready for it. And, you know, I, I think back to several times in my life when I've given speeches and, and, um, or done a presentation and, and, you know, everything that I learned back on teaching and everything that I teach and I coach um, comes back to what we teach on, you know, and what is taught on speech and debate about how to practice the speech and rehearse it and how, how to polish, how to write the speech, um, how to make it you know, not too long, not too short, including the right points and the right arguments that you're trying to make and using your voice the right way, adapting to your audience. It's all those things that, that, you, that you learn on by giving a speech um, is something that uh, I've certainly carried with me um, my whole professional career. And I, I don't know if I knew that at the time that this was something that was going to benefit me you know, throughout life, but 
it really it really has been. So yeah, again, back to your point, a lot of competition and a lot of um, preparation, but really, really well worth it. So did I read in your bio right that while you were going to school at Harper, you were in the Army National Guard or Reserve? I, yeah, I was. I was in the, in the uh, Army National Guard, and uh, which is a uh, state-funded uh, branch of the, um, the military, the Army. And um, it was a good experience. You know, <clears throat> it allowed me to um, go to college and, uh, and, and get my degree at the same time while I was uh, serving and, and help pay for my for my schooling, which you know again getting back to getting getting back to that three hundred dollars scholarship, um, you know certainly was part part of uh, the, the overall plan. It was uh, again tough for my parents to pay for college, so um, yeah, it was it was great. It, you know, I uh, enjoyed it. I learned a lot, built some character. Uh, woke up woke up many early mornings and did push ups and running and sit ups and stuff like that. You know, and, but uh, yeah, it was, it was good. So I remember, you know, being on campus and during the week and then, you know, there were weekends where it was Friday, you know, Friday afternoon and I had to get ready to go for a weekend, uh, you know, you know, drill, drill weekend as they would call it. So that was, uh, yeah, it was good. It was, uh, it was something I would definitely recommend to people if they're, if they're uh, thinking about you know, joining the military. So you are what I would call and you and your brother uh, don't want to leave Jordan out, but uh, you're what I would call a serial entrepreneur. Okay, I love talking to entrepreneurs. And um, when when I first met you, uh, Jeff Prisvillo introduced us, and uh, he he said that you were the Beanie Baby King. Now, <laughs> tell me about that. Well, when you said I was, when you started saying I was a serial, I was like, oh, well, this can only go bad from here. Um, when you're a serial something, you're a, you know, usually the next word following serial is not good. Um, not killer, not serial killer. Yeah, no, a serial entrepreneur. Yeah, so thank, so thankfully it only got better from there. So I guess that I guess there could be worse things. Um, you know, I I've used that term before, serial entrepreneur, and yeah, I guess I do sort of consider myself a serial entrepreneur. I I've always been, um, and and as much my brother, my twin brother, we're we we are business partners, and um, we we have been our entire career. Yeah, we've always sort of been um, into something, into some sort of business. And when we were in college, and I don't think I was at Harper at the time, I think it was once I went to Northern. And, and I'll tell you, this is, it, it's a, it's, I guess it's an endearing or a cute story, but it's one that I, maybe I try to, or part of the, a past business that I, maybe I try to forget about because, you know, it's hard, maybe it's hard to take taken seriously when you tell people you're in the Beanie Baby business, but it's part of me. And, and the people who know me well know that it's, it's kind of where I got my start. So I guess I, uh, you know, I should be humble about it, but um, but yeah, you know, I, we used to sell Beanie Babies and other stuffed plush, plush stuffed animals. So we would sell, um, you know, other, other, you know, other stuffed animals. And, but Beanie Babies was, was our main product. And um, I know you'd, you'd probably be like, oh, gosh, how did you get into that? But, you know, in the late 90s, Beanie Babies were the, all the rage. And I don't know why they just, they were a trend and they got really hot. And I think that it was, you know, we were sort of opportunistic and we saw the ability to, you know, get involved in buying and selling them. I was in my living in my, my uh, dorm room at Northern at the time. And I saw these things on campus being sold for, you know, at the bookstore and they were $5 each. And I bought a few of them just um, because I thought they were cute and whatever. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I thought they were kind of fun. And... So I, but then I realized that there was like a value to these things, right? People were buying and selling them. And 
I couldn't believe that some of them were worth $500 or $1,000. And I was like, well, how, how can I find those? So we started sort of looking for them, putting ads out in papers, newspapers at the time, kind of before the internet was really big. And we found, you know, kids or parents who had these old Beanie Babies sitting around and um, that we could buy for $300 and sell for $350 or $400 and make a little profit. And then we kind of took, you know, and so it started as a hobby, but then it turned into a real business. And we ran that business, believe it or not, for um, nine or 10 years. And we had an office, we had employees, we had, you know, we were, we, on our best year, we sold close to a million pieces. Um, so it really, whereas it started out as a sort of, again, a fun little hobby or a goofy little thing on the side or a, you know, whatever, it turned, really turned into, <clears throat> turned into a real business for, for, uh, for years. And, um, and it was, I was able, my brother and I were both able to make a real income when we were in our twenties. It was great. And, you know, and, you know, the fun thing about it, it was, a, it was a business that, you know, you never had to take too seriously because we were selling kids stuff plush. You know, we weren't solving the world's problems. We weren't dealing with any crises. We're dealing with, you know, stuffed animals and, uh, you know, people usually there was, <clears throat> there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, stress or tension in that job because again the nature of what we were doing so it was <clears throat> it was certainly a lot of fun and uh, i look i always look back and smile at those at those times but um yeah that was a lot of fun so yeah i guess uh i guess um it was sort of my the, my entree into you know the entrepreneurial world and what, what really gave, gave me my start there and you guys went on from there to start a gold buying business right yeah kind of like right after that it was it was kind of interesting what kind of the timing there we the, the beanie baby business was kind of getting hit hard or our business because um, a few of our big customers were going out of business filing for bankruptcy um kb toys and 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 at that point uh toys r us and a couple other big retailers that we would sell to were having problems and filing bankruptcy and so that really kind of took us out of the game and, and that was i think 2008 <clears throat> at the same time um the gold business kind of was dropped on our lap. Um, so it was a great transition for us, but we, we found out that, and I had no idea that gold jewelry, gold in general was worth so much money. I didn't know anything about gold. I didn't own any gold. I didn't, I wasn't an investor in gold or silver. I just didn't know the first thing, but we heard that, or we learned that the price of gold or the commodity sort of tripled overnight. Uh, or almost virtually in a very short period of time. And it was creating sort of this opportunity to, you know, sort of buy and sell old, you know, just sort of unwanted gold jewelry and coins and, and other scrap metal that, you know, that uh, consumer, so it's consumer gold. And we, we realized that there was, there was this sort of, you know, dislocation in the market, if you will, or sort of, uh, you know, opportunity to, 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 buy from the consumer and then have the gold melted, which is what we would do, and then sell it uh, on the commodities market. And there wasn't a lot of people doing it at the time. And we, we figured, let's try, give it a shot. And we tried it. And, and um, it was, we got a slow start. We, weren't, we, didn't, we didn't have it all figured out. There was a lot we didn't know yet on how to do it. And then all of a sudden, one day, it just like clicked. And um, <clears throat> we, uh, we, we really kind of found the big, some big opportunity there. And we started opening up stores, um, retail brick and mortar stores throughout Chicagoland. And we opened our first one in, I think it was December of 2008. 
And, um, you know, within a few months, we had three or four stores open. And then before you knew it, we had um, 50 stores open in Chicago. And um, eventually at our peak, we had 90 stores, retail brick and mortar stores open in Chicago. Uh, and then we expanded to other markets. We, we took on a couple partners in, in Atlanta. And, and then we moved to Los Angeles. We took on some other partners in Dallas and in Kansas City, Indianapolis. And at our peak, we had um, 225 total retail stores open nationwide. <clears throat> so it it was a great it was a great business. It, it lasted for five or six years. It slowed down when the when the economy um, picked up and when the price of gold dropped. Um, gold spiked and then it dropped, came back down again. But for like I said, about five or six years, it was a great business. We learned a lot. We really learned a whole lot about business and and. Um, and we just get we we got a lot along the way there. I got some really great employees that that then we used uh, or st stayed with us, and we we've, we've kept them on for our for for our next business after that. But um, but yeah, it was it was really a it was a great it was a lot of great business. But it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, and um, it was intense. It was <clears throat> because it was a kind of um, you know we were doing some bigger volumes, and so it was intense. But it was yeah, it was really interesting. I learned a lot from it. That sounds really interesting. That's a lot of employees to be dealing with in a lot of different locations. That's um, that would stress me out. It w it was yeah. At one point we had probably three or four hundred employees at one time, and it was it was quite a bit. So all right, you can't drive through Chicagoland <laughs> without seeing a billboard for Restore Hair. They're everywhere. In fact, it's even become a joke on social media. I'll see them every once in a while. And I'm like, oh, look, there's somebody making fun of Restore Hair, you know, because there's so many billboards everywhere. How did uh, you guys come to own Restore Hair? Is that a, uh, I like the product so much, I bought the company kind of thing, you know, the old razor ad? Or what's the story there? Uh, you know, first of all, I will say, we love when, you know, when people on social media or, you know, um, just, you know, people kind of take jabs at the billboards and make fun of, poke fun of it or make comments because it's, it, it means like, I guess we've kind of made it or, you know, we've, um, you know, we're, we're notable enough that people talk about it. Yeah. You're part of the zeitgeist now. Yeah, yeah so. exactly. Exactly. So we, we like it when we hear things about that. And, um, and yeah, it's the, the billboard thing is really, it's become sort of a, a fun, a, the fun part of it, the real fun part of it. Um, but how did we get into it? Gosh, um, you know, so so Jordan and I both had a hair procedure done, uh, hair restoration procedure. You might call it a hair transplant. That's what we kind of used to call it. And we had it done with this doctor in, in Oak Brook. And <clears throat> for years after that, we stayed sort of friendly with him because we would go in and we would, you know, get a checkup or whatever, or get, you know, get a prescription for medication, whatever it was. And, and he saw what we were doing in the gold business. And he asked us on a few occasions if we'd be interested in partnering up with him and starting, you know, he wanted to be in his own, have his own practice. He was, at the time he was working for, for a bigger clinic, bigger company. And so he wanted to start his own. And he asked us if we'd be interested in partnering up with him. And, you know, that we, the gold business was going well, gold match was going well at the time. So there was really no, we could, we didn't have the time and so on. But then it, it, finally he asked us in 2013, I believe. And at that point we were, you know, we were winding down the gold business. We saw that it was coming to an end. And <clears throat> we said, you know what? Maybe the time would be right now. Maybe this would, maybe this would 
you know, would work for us. And so we started talking about it and we said, okay, let's give this a shot. So we, we did that. We partnered up with, with him, branched out on his own. And we, uh, we started a, just a small clinic in Oak Brook. <clears throat> and again, that was either late 2013 or very early 2014. And um, just a real small office. And we were, you know, get a couple leads or a couple you know, people email you here and there. And, uh, you know, get a you know, patient once, uh, you know, a couple, couple patients a week. And we thought this would be something that maybe would take us some years to grow. And, um, and then we, you know, Jordan and I had the idea, it's probably his idea to, to get a spokesperson. And we're like, well, what, you know, how could that work? And who could we get in Chicago that could be, you know, somebody notable that people would listen to and respect and, and trust because this business was sort of like, it's, it's stigmatic, you know, there was a stigma of, you know, getting your hair, that's something your, your dad or your grandpa did. Who wants to do that? And so we wanted to break the stigma. And we're like, well, who are some bald Chicago guys? And I, uh, you know, for any of those of you who are listening who know uh, how the, you know, know what uh, who our spokesperson is, you know how the story ends here, I think. But you know, we came we came up with a list of kind of bald Chicagoans and you know, or balding or whatever. And <clears throat> I think the top of our list was was Brian Erlacher. And we we sort of joked about it like because it seemed so absurd. There's no way how First of all, how would we even get a phone call with Brian Erlacher? How would how would that work? What do we just look him up in the yellow pages? Do we, you know, do we like, you know, send him an email? I mean, how how would you possibly get a phone call scheduled with Brian Erlacher? I think he was still playing at that time, or maybe he had just retired. He was a year away, just uh, maybe that year he had retired. But <clears throat> how on earth would <clears throat> would that happen? And um, and so it, it seemed like it was really out of reach. And, and then what would we offer him? I mean, to be a spokesperson for us, how, you know, we were just starting up. And um, so long story short, we, we kind of got lucky, we got an introduction to him. Um, we knew somebody, we knew him, and we got a phone call with his agent, and his agent said, no, thank you. Click, that was, so that was, that was, that was, <laughs> that was upsetting. It was like, okay, but it went, it, the call went how we expected, no, thank you. And, and then, um, and then we called back again and, and we said, Hey, you know what, let's, we want to talk to you a little bit more. What, what if we did this? What if we did that? We came up with a few ideas. Um, and then we actually gave his agent a procedure just to, we said, no strings attached. We just want to give you a procedure. We just want to show you what it looks like and, and how, whatever. So his agent was standing as well. So his agent came in, did a procedure. Nine months later, his agent's hair is, is, is great. looks great. And he went to Brian and he goes, Brian, look at this. Look how great my hair looks. These are those guys that I was telling you about that want, want you to partner up with them, want you to, you know, advocate for them. You know, so Brian's like, let's talk. And so we started talking and uh, one thing led to another and we came up with a, a plan or a proposal that worked for him to endorse us and to uh, do the procedure. First of all, he hadn't, obviously hadn't done a procedure to do the procedure and to, to promote us, advocate for us and, and um, and, and then to let us put him on 50, 60, 100 billboards throughout Chicago and um, to use his name everywhere, which I, I think I'm sure he never dreamed would happen. But, but he, yeah, he, he, so he did the procedure and maybe reluctantly, I don't know, but he did it and his results came out really good. And he was like, yeah, this is great. You know, fast forward um, six or seven years later now, he's, uh, you yeah, know, we got him on billboards all over the place and he couldn't be happier. And, you know, he thought he would just be, uh, you know, a retired bald bear 
uh, for for years to come, and and now he's got here again, and he, uh, he he loves it. That's such a great story. And then you've got um, several Chicago sports figures on on the, the different billboards, and I imagine that really helps with the the stigma of it. Because you're right. I mean, when you think about a hair procedure, I mean, it, it sounds it sounds kind of funny. And like, who wants to be the poster child for a hair procedure? It's like being the poster child for a hemorrhoid cream or something. Like you know, you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we might have had more luck in the beginning with the hemorrhoid cream than the hair procedure. Yeah, the hair thing is something that it was. It was like people were just so wanted to be so quiet about it. You know, when I had my, I've had two procedures now, and when I had my first one, I didn't tell anybody about it for years. It's just kind of private. You just don't, you don't really talk about it. It's the thing that you want people to just think you have great hair or whatever. And um, and but then it changed to where after we got Erlacher involved, that people wanted to start talking about it because. He was talking about it. So it became this domino effect. And it's throughout the entire industry, not just with us, it's always been tough to get guys to speak out about it. And even some of the, you know, many of our, uh, you know, com- competitors and some of the big, bigger, you know, national brand clinic, you know, brand names have a hard time getting spokespeople. Um, and if they only knew, if they only knew the, the types of athletes and, and actors, especially, I mean, think of any older you know or aging actor that you know of in, in hollywood um that has great hair you know think of the stallones and the and the schwarzeneggers and guys like that they've all they've all had hair procedures done it's kind of part of part of what goes along with it so yeah but it's but it's hard to get guys to talk about it so since then as you mentioned you know i think early after kind of opened that door and you got you got a lot more guys interested in doing it for one and saying hey yeah if early after can do it and talk about it i can too and so our, our second big um, sort of, uh, you know, person that we got was Ryan Sandberg and uh, that got to not just do it, but then endorse us and want to talk about it. And he came to us, I think he came to us right after we launched Early Actor. He heard about it and he was like, he was just coming back to Chicago at that point. He had moved back there from, from Arizona and um, he wanted to, um, you know, he wanted to get back in the Chicago sports scene and everything else and be involved and be notable again. And, and get his name out there, and he's like, "This might be a way to, you know, kind of do it." And, and he was really bald, and he really wanted some hair, and maybe feel younger, look younger. And so he, I think he reached out to us, and um, yeah, it was great. And he's, well, he's had the procedure done, and and uh, he looks great. You know, I think it, you know, he was, he was, he had more hair loss than Erlacher did, but we gave him a great result, and um, he's really thrilled about it. We see him all the time, and and uh, he loves showing off his hair. And now he's the uh, he works for Marquee Sports, Mark, you know, Marquee Network, and you can see him on broadcast and so on at Cubs games. So, um, yeah, he likes he likes talking about it. So we, you know, and since then we've gotten a handful of other guys. You know, we got uh, Eddie Olchek and uh, Deion Sanders, and recently Ian Happ from the Cubs. Uh, those of you Cubs fans, um, Ian Happ, the younger guy in the team, he's become a standout player. But um, yeah, we've gotten a bunch of Chicago notable, notable Chicago players. Um, Jason McKee, former Chicago Bear, who was Brian Erlacher's teammate on the on the uh, Super Bowl team of 07. Uh, he's done the procedure and he's promoted us. Jim Cornelison, uh, who uh, you know who had the procedure done uh, and is the announcer for the Blackhawks. And then we did have Brian Bickle from the Blackhawks. We've we've done numerous athletes from all of. Chicago sports teams and the ones I just mentioned are a lot of the ones that I can mention there's a lot that I can't mention um but but yeah man if I wish I wish I could but there was there's there's a lot of guys that have 
a lot of big name athletes that have done it. And um, we're, we're still, we're honored that they come to us. Kirk Cousins is another one that we can talk about. He's done it. He's the quarterback for the, uh, uh, for Minnesota, uh, for the Vikings. So yeah, we, we've gotten a lot of guys that have done it. It's been great. So with that business, I mean, do you, do you carry around a card and every guy you meet, you look at him and say, you know what, you need our service. Is that something that you do? Cause that's kind of funny, I think, but <laughs> you know, it, it is, fun. you know, and I always like, you know, I always run this, like, you know, this thought and I'm like, gosh, if, you know, if I only could be just so bold as to just go right up to guys and, and, you know, and in airports or right, you know, wherever I'm at and give them my card or slip it into their bag or something. And be like, Hey, this is just a hint, just a, a little suggestion, you know, but, but I have friends that come up, come to me and, and they, you know, and they're bald or balding and they, and they mention it. I'm like, look, I wasn't going to say anything, uh, but yes, I can help you. Um, you know, I don't want to be pushy, but um, you know, I, a couple of my really, really close friends are, are totally bald and, and I'm like, you know, I can help, I can help you. But, uh, but I, but I try not, I try not to push. Um, I think it's very much a personal choice. And I, I, I try to be a resource and helpful to people who are, who are thinking about it. And, and, I, and I really actually like, you know, what I really enjoy is when I get a lot of guy, younger guys that, that come to me who are thin and we're starting to think guys in their early 20s and they say, hey, what should I do? What should I do now? And they're, maybe they're just thinning, receding hairline in the front. Should I do a procedure? And, and I really like giving those guys advice because I, I was one of those guys and I, I had thinning hair and I, you know, didn't know what to do about it. And, um, and I didn't really have people giving me advice and so on, but I like telling them, Hey, you know, putting aside doing a hair surgical hair procedure, there are non-surgical therapies and medication that you can take to stop your hair loss or slow it down. And that's really the thing that most people don't know. And that I wish I would have known when I was 25 years old and uh, starting to thin and that it's not just about you know, adding or, you know, more hair and surgically implanting more hair. That's, that's great. But it's about stopping the hair loss of your, of your native or your non-transplanted hair. That's equally or more important than, than doing a surgical procedure. So, you know, a lot of times all of friends that are my age or older that have kids that are yeah, 18, 20, 22 years old, and they're like, they're just starting to thin out. What should I do? And I, I love giving them advice because I, I want them to be able to make good decisions on how to preserve their hair now so that maybe they don't have to come to me in 10 years and do a procedure. Um, also, you know, we can't help everyone. It, we, not everybody is a candidate for this procedure. You have to have the right amount of remaining what we call donor hair in the back of your head and the back. And you have to have, you know, not too much hair loss on the top. There's a lot of guys that, that are, have, lost too much hair, they don't have enough donor hair, we can't help them. So it's not just as simple as, you know, you know, that we can help everyone. So we, we like to, I, I really like to give guys advice on how to preserve their original hair so that they, so that maybe they don't have to do a procedure or that they just don't lose too much. That's great. So I know that you are heavily involved with the Harper College Foundation. Can you tell me about your involvement there, what you're doing? Yeah, so I'm on the um, foundation board. My board of directors, and um, I, I, uh, I've been. I think this is my. I believe this is my ninth year. Um, and um, I, you know, I, uh, they asked me to to, um, you know, to join the committee at first. I did a committee, and then from there, they I was asked to to join the 
the foundation board, which I was extremely honored. And, um, you know, younger guy at the time, early 30s. And I, I, I guess it kind of goes back to what I said earlier about when being valued. Um, when somebody asks you, says, hey, we value you. We want your opinion. We want your feedback. We want, um, we want your knowledge. We want, um, we want you to help. And it's, it's hard to say no. And it's very easy to say yes. And that's what I did. I, I was flattered. And so I said, yeah, I, I would love to be involved in this. Um, at the time, I'll admit, I didn't know what it meant to be on a foundation board. So I was very naive and sort of inexperienced. And I said, what, okay, what does that mean? What does it mean that I'm on a, a foundation board? I, don't, I didn't understand. Um, but, you know, I obviously looked into it and I explained it a little bit. And, and I said, yeah, this is great. Um, you know, and at the time, I just started my, my scholarship and um, that I, that I started for other students. And, um, and I think that, that they don't, you know, the point of being on a foundation board is, which again, found, you know, for those of you who were like me and didn't know what that meant, foundation board helps to, um, to, to get support for scholarships, for student scholarships, um, help, help raise money. <clears throat> and so, you know, I, I, at the time I was kind of afraid, like, does that just mean that I'm just gonna be contributing more money than I'm contributing now? Or, Feel obligated, and, and it wasn't. It was not that way at all. But but I uh, so I the, being on the foundation board is, um, you know, we our mission is like I said is to is to help get support, raise money for scholarships for students. And you know, I think that you know ev everybody who has the ability to do something philanthropic or to to help others should should do it. Should try it, whatever it is, at the smallest level or the biggest level, whatever whatever one can do is, is, is great. Um, you know, I think it really, it's, there's, it's very internally rewarding to know that you've, that you've helped somebody else. And I always, I always feel like the time that I spend and the money, maybe the small, small scholarships that I give, I, I really feel that I get, I get so much out of it. I think sometimes I say I get more out of it than the students got out of it to receive this scholarship. I feel that if I gave a thousand dollars for something, $500, $100, I got more internally out of that than, you know, than they got me. But it really is, is rewarding. But so I enjoy, you know, we, we, uh, we have meetings quarterly. We have, um, we have events that we do. Um, I'm on a few different subcommittees. And one of, the, one of which that I'm most passionate about is the golf committee. But yeah, we, we do events and, and we do different, different things to raise money. And then we, you know, there's a lot of, you know, helping to decide who the scholarships go to and helping to set up scholarships, endowed scholarships, uh, which, is a, which is a perpetual scholarship that's given out every year from somebody. You know, one of the things I like the most about it is it's a way to, a lot of people use scholarships, a lot of donors use scholarships as a way to sort of honor um, a loved one maybe who's passed. And so they set up a scholarship in memory of somebody. So that so that person's uh, they have, that person has a legacy. So if you set up an endowed scholarship that lasts for you know, or that you set up with a certain dollar amount to start with, that produces money that creates uh, a gift, a scholarship every year for a different student that never goes away. Um, the, it generates interest, their interest revenue that generates to pay for the scholarship, and so that never goes away. So. With one gift, if you're if you're um, able to give a, a certain amount of gift, the gift size um, can create an, an eternal or you know, indefinite scholarship that every year a student is getting in in, in the name of whoever you want to leave uh, you know, give it memory of, create a legacy for. So yeah, it's it's great, very again, very rewarding, 
it's great work. Um, and yeah, I just met great people on the foundation board. And I've met a lot of the, you know, got, got to know Dr. Ender very, very well. And, and, uh, you know, with my foundation work and he's a great guy. And I've, I've met Dr. Proctor and she's amazing as well. And just, it's just been a, a great experience. And, um, and they keep asking me to come back and it's, it's hard to say no because um, because of everything I get out of it and because I really feel valued. That's great. We really appreciate you doing that work. Um, I just wanted to ask before I let you go, what advice would you give to a current or maybe incoming Harper student how to make the best of things? I think, and this is one thing that I, I think maybe just in my, in my time at Harper, I've really become a big proponent of is education. I mean, how can you not? Um, and in, in, in times of running my my own businesses, I've I've realized I've learned that education, con continued ongoing education, um, higher education is so important to get that edge. Um, a lot of people have associate degrees, a lot of people have bachelor's degrees. Not so many people have masters or MFAs or MBA degrees or PhDs. And so my message is is to, is to continue on. Go is far as you can with it. And it's something I didn't do. I got my bachelor's degree. I did not go on and get a, uh, a terminal degree after that. I didn't get a master's or an MBA. <clears throat> I really wish I would have. I, I feel that there's a lot of knowledge that I'm lacking or, or could have if I would have gone on and gotten an MBA, for example, in business. And um, so, so I really feel that, you know, the time to do it is, is now when you're when you're, uh, when you're young and before you've gotten too far along in your career and maybe you had to start with a family, um, I feel like at this point it's probably too, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm too old or whatever to go back. But, but yeah, do it while you can, while you're young. Go on and, and, and get the bachelor's degree. After you graduate from Harper, go on and get your bachelor's. If, and, and if you can, get that master's, the MBA. Um, go to law school. Uh, get a PhD if you can, if you're able to. Um, there's a lot of really good programs. You know, and Brian talking about scholarships. There's a lot of good scholarships that are out there at these four-year universities and, and even beyond that to get your to get a to get a post-college degree. Um, so take it as far as you can because you know once you have that degree, they can't take it away from you. You always have it. It's it's something that you've always got. If you you get it, if it takes you two years after your bachelor's to get a master's degree or three years, whatever. That's right. You have that on your resume forever. And it will always help you to get a better job, keep, you know, whatever, get into the, get a promotion, um, hopefully earn more money. Certainly that's important. Do better things, do things that are more rewarding for you. Um, and you have that opportunity when you're, when you're young and you're still in the, you know, education minded, you know, mindset to do that. So that, that is my very, my best advice that I would give anybody is go on and take your education as far as you can um, before going out there in the working world. You got the rest of your life to work, right? You got you know, all sorts of years to, to be out there working. Um, trust me, it's there. It's not going away. Yeah, take your education far. Yeah, it's always so hard to do it afterwards, especially after you've started a family and sort. And, and I always admire when I have students who you know, they, um, they have a job and they have a career, they have a family and they're going back to school and taking classes. And it's like, man, that takes a lot of dedication and, and a lot of work. And I've never done it. So I, I mean, I haven't gone back. So I can only imagine how hard it is. And I do have a family, so I can only imagine what it would be like to try to juggle work family and, and going back to college, um, and to get a degree. So yeah, do it, do it when you can. 
Well, Jake, thank you so much for being here today. Really appreciate all the work that you do with the Harper Speech Team and with the uh, Harper College Foundation. That work is very much appreciated and very much needed, and uh, you're you're a, you're a saint for doing so. So thank you. That's very nice. I appreciate. It. Well, thank you for thank you for indulging me on this too. I always appreciate uh, appreciate that, and like you know, I like talking. So I but yeah, thanks again. Thanks for for having me on the program and. Uh, Appreciate you. Jacob Sadoff is co-owner of Restore Hair and a 2010 recipient of the Harper College Distinguished Alumni Award. If you're enjoying Harper Talks, please subscribe. And while you're at it, rate and review us so that others might find us. Harper Talks is a co-production of Harper College Alumni Relations and Harper Radio. Our show is produced by Shannon Hines. Our technical producers are Eric Benia-Sanchez and Mary Renner. Our theme music was created by Aidan Cashman. I'm Brian Shelton. Thanks for listening 